Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Wingman Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And I've got J.J. Gustafson on the line. J.J. is with Lifetime Decoys and a self-described jack-of-all-trades kind of does it. not a good way to introduce <laughs> not a jack of all trades master of none that's for sure no no jj and i've been jj and i've been getting to know each other a little bit um before the podcast and he's got some really cool stories to tell and i'll just let him kind of run but um jj thanks for being on i really appreciate you taking the time it's we had a tough time connecting there for a little bit between sickness and schedules and it was crazy yeah man. your whole family came down with some kind of illness it was not a, the COVID I hope I no hope it not. wasn't the Rona wasn't the Rona um no it was it was bad man you know when you're when you got a bunch of little kids and a, and a newborn not a newborn but a four-month-old in the house yeah. and everybody gets sick including oh. mommy and you're the only one that's not it's yeah. like daddy's on deck you know what i mean it's luckily i don't know what that's like yet but i can i can possibly imagine it yeah it's it was rough so i i appreciate your flexibility yeah, in that and and taking some time to get back in touch with us and and jump on here but so you don't like the description tell me what do you like how do you want to be known <laughs> oh i mean i mean jack of all trades makes me seem like i can i can just do everything and that's definitely not the case um with lifetime right now i'm definitely wearing a lot of hats sure um, but that's just probably a function of us being a smaller company um lifetime's based in texas um in san marcus just south of austin um we've been around for a few years but um two years ago was the first time that we released our foam decoy and that's that's the product that i'm really excited about that, de that decoy is cool man i yeah, mean what, what get, a revolutionary thing yeah, we can I'd get more into that now or later. You tell no, me. No, let, let's do later. Let's talk about you right now. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so the way I probably describe it to most people is, if it's not manufacturing, logistics, or keeping the books, um, I've got a hand in it, or I'm doing it. So, marketing, community relations, dealing with guides and outfitters, um, our retail sales. Um, putting together content, piecing things together on the website. We've got a webmaster that does the technical stuff, but sure, things sure. need to be changed there. It's just, there's so many tiny little things that a lot of people I'm sure didn't realize went into running a small business um, that I definitely didn't know. Um, and it's also funny, like you describe a small business or you look at some of these companies that are in the outdoor industry and you think these are massive giants, but we're being run by a very small team of people. And so sometimes you feel like there's no way that we're getting traction and there's just so many things that need to be done and we can't keep up. But then you realize like everybody's dealing with the same thing. So um, it's been fun. It's been a super exciting ride. I just joined actually like um, this time last year, this week okay. last year was, okay. was when I joined Lifetime. So well, happy one year anniversary. Yeah. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I appreciate My bosses haven't even said that yet. So Oh, well, let me be the that. first to congratulate yeah, you. Thank then. you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> No, I know exactly what you mean about the small thing here. The, the here, the office here at Eastman's is you look at everything that Eastman's does and 
wingmen obviously being a part of the Eastman's hunting journals umbrella and Eastman's publishing actually had a subscriber from California who is, it was happened to be in the area stop in yesterday just because he wanted to see the operation, right? He wanted to meet people. Well, sure. horrible timing for him because all the, all the celebrities were gone out of the yeah. office in a big meeting, yeah. you know, guy, yeah. Ike, nobody was here. Right. Sure. But he still got to see it. He was shocked. He and his wife were blown away at how small the operation is. You yeah, know, it's a absolutely. fairly small building. Yep. Um, there's 12 of us, I think, mm -hmm. 13. And everybody has a job title, but we all do lots of different things. It's right. like, okay, this is where this happens. This is where this happens. And literally a hot lap through took 30 seconds, you know, and yeah, he was blown away. And well, but that's I, but the thing you just you don't need that big footprint, right? One, right. With that few people, but two for me, and I'm I'd imagine it's probably the same for you. Like, I'm more engaged when I have so many things going at one time. Like, I can jump from one thing to the other, um, and it, I like having a hand in all of the decision making processes. Right now, there will probably come a time when I'm ready to just be rid of them all, right? And focus on one or two big picture things or whatever but right now i love jumping around and i imagine you probably do you know it's interesting you, you say that i it took me i remember my freshman year of college that first semester of college seems like a long time ago now but i learned real quickly that well 12 credits is full time right yeah i'm good i took full credits man did my grade point suffer because i didn't have enough to keep me busy 100 percent. and i spent way too much time fishing way too much time hunting ducks i spent way too much time in a tree stand chasing whitetails i i spent too much time doing things that weren't going to make uh, me successful at college and man i it suffered and then i figured out yeah if I load myself up, now I have to create a schedule that I have to stick to in order to get mm -hmm. things done. And I'm busy. And because I'm busy, I'm more productive. Sure. I completely understand what you're saying. Completely. Well, and that's, that's the interesting thing. And so Dane, one of the founders of Lifetime, I give it, I give him hell all the time, but he's fairly short and he's like, I don't know, probably five nine five ten comparatively like i'm six six i was gonna say you're and, a big um, you're a big dude yeah so dane he he loves the crossfit thing he works out all the time um he's got another like he's got another job as well like he's he's the founder of this he works on anytime i call him like he's ready to talk lifetime and we probably spend maybe an hour and a half or two hours on the phone like every other day just chatting through things and we're always emailing but um He's just as busy as could be. And he's got two kids and a wife and he's got so many things to do, but he works out and he's got friends and he's just like the definition of health. And so when duck season ends, like it's kind of the joke, at least among like our peers is like, we treat our bodies like as perfectly as we possibly can for six months to then like go out and hit the road and treat our bodies as horribly as we possibly Eat can. junk, don't sleep. Months just grind yeah. away just yeah, grind absolutely. away yeah but no. like i operate so much better when like you're working out and eating healthy and you've got a million and 12 things that you have to accomplish like finding yourself like for me it's been important like finding a place like creating a desk like literally inside the house like i 
need a complete different space to work and operate, which I'm sure a lot of people are figuring out. Like everybody's been working from home now. So yeah, that's kind changed. Of fun, like, no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Being able to pin that spot down, like you said, you got to have a spot. And if you can't pin it down, man, your productivity is going to suffer. I completely agree. But you are, so we said, you're a big guy. You said you're six, six. Let's, you have kind of an interesting story when sure. you, were, you were telling me some stuff. Tell us more about, I mean, we'll get into the decoy thing and the duck hunting thing. Obviously, we want to know all about that because that's the point yeah. of having you on. Now, that's the interesting stuff. Sure. Well, there's, there, and there's a story. I had Corey Loeffler on a few weeks back, and that oh, yeah. e- that episode just dropped. Did he dropped. tell you much about what happened? Did he Corey and I talked for about... almost two hours. I mean, it was like no way. God damn, I like, should have listened to. He goes, dude, you gotta have JJ on the podcast, and I went. So now I got two people telling me you, Corey and uh, Baker, telling me you gotta yeah. get this guy on the podcast. I'm like, okay, deal. And so, but right. let's get some background. You played football yes. for AM, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. What, what position? So, uh, I played offensive line. I started playing tackle and then out of necessity started playing center. Um, I was pretty heavily recruited, I guess, like objectively out of high school, which wasn't necessarily because of me. There was a, there was another kid at my school who was like one of the most sought after receivers in recent history out of high school so lots of coaches came to see jake oliver and uh-huh. uh then they were like wait but like who's that kid and then there was another guy um he ended up he played linebacker with me at AM as well but all three of us ironically enough we played together in middle school we all played together in high school and then me and jordan mastro we got to go play in college together so that's cool we had a we had a really a really cool a really cool situation jake oliver went to go play at texas and so I was really lucky to, to get to play um, in the same high school as Jake because lots of coaches saw me when probably they wouldn't have otherwise. So that was just, it was dumb luck there. And um, I went to A&M. Uh, it was going to be close to home. My parents could afford to come and see me um, on the weekends. Uh, a lot of my family had gone to A&M, my mom and dad, my grandparents. So I actually tried to turn my back from A&M. Um, I was, I was thinking Stanford or, or OU, those were going to be, that was like my top three. Sure. Um, but ended up deciding on, on A&M cause I could bring my guns. I could go hunting. There you go. Uh, I could do what I want to do. That's probably before I realized, uh, the hotbed that Oklahoma is for waterfowl hunting. Um, so OU would have been, would have been a good option there. Um, but I ended up playing for a few years at A&M. I ended up hurting my back in a game my freshman year okay uh, had to get surgery went back played again the doctors told me don't do that but i had got myself into the best possible shape that that i'd ever i'd ever been and i felt better i looked better i was eating better i was working out better and i just thought there's no way that i can just hang it up now like everything feels perfect i'll regret this the rest of my life so i played again and sure enough like what they had warned of happening happened and so I finished out that season and at the end of the season, they, they ran an x-ray and an MRI and I couldn't lie about the x-ray or MRI. Like I could tell people that I didn't feel bad, but like, so they retired me and paid out my scholarship and that opened up some doors to go hunt and fish and do some other things like a little bit more, but stay right. pretty involved in them. And, um, 
I got my undergrad in supply chain management. So logistics and the warehouse side of things. Um, and then I got a master's in real estate. I think real estate's really interesting. And um, I was all, I've always been intrigued and maybe someday this will come to fruition, but doing some recreational land stuff, some farm and ranch, some hunting uh -huh. property. Uh -huh. um, I think I'd like to have that, or I will always keep that in my back pocket, but right now I'm a little busy to, to embark on, on that road. Right. Um, so I did some cool, like internship stuff. I worked for a, a really, really big institutional investor, uh, had some cool, um, job opportunities. Um, cause you don't, I don't know. There's not a lot of people who were like, who did the football thing and then they could do the school thing too. And were really interested in all of those things. And so I had some really cool opportunities, but for whatever reason, I just wasn't passionate about it. I wasn't fired up about it. So this thing came up on social media and I had three or four friends send it to me and they were like, you need to like apply for this. And I had already seen it and I was tracking and it was called the run and gun tour. And so Sitka, Yeti and Rigamarite, they converted yeah. this old CentOS delivery truck. They created an, an RV on the inside of it. They put a really cool wrap on it and they sent it out all over the country. And so Austin Stapleton and Dawson Leak uh, were the first guys to take that sucker on the road. And they went all over the place, went to retail sites and um, hunted and created content. And so uh, myself and one of my old A&M uh, teammates, Connor Lantier and I, we applied and sure enough, we got it. Um, and so we hit the road 28,000 miles, 178 days. Wow. Hunting, creating content, running. There had to been, days. there had to been some stiff competition for that, for that slot, those spots. Cause that was a, sure. that was a big deal. And I remember watching yeah. that when it came out yeah. and I was like, man, how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was I, the thing. I mean, everybody wanted to be a part of it. Everybody, right. everybody was excited. And honestly, I don't know how many teams, applied for it and frankly like connor and i were underqualified for sure in the content department okay. um i think i think we more than held our own um like telling the story of what we were doing we definitely like got to know the community and got to know the people and going to retailers was really the that was the reason behind it we wanted to be able to draw folks to retailers to come in and spend money on on Yeti gear, on right. gear, and on rig and right stuff. Um, that was really where the entire idea came from. And those three brands wanted to show that they were supporting these retailers. So we hit we hit some of the big retailers all over the country: Tennessee, Missouri, Illinois, Texas, like you, Arkansas, you name it. Like we were all over the place. And in between all those stops, we got to hunt, we got to hang out with people, and and meet folks. So. Um, that was that was a lot of fun, but yeah, I mean, we were underqualified on the content department. That's for sure. Like Connor will be the first to to admit, like he doesn't do it. He's not gonna take many pictures. He's not gonna pull his phone out. Like he's there to pull the trigger, and that was fine. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the work we did, but um, after talking to to the team who had hired us, like, and after the whole tour was over, like we got the job because we were simply willing to like work harder on the proposal and on the video than everybody else. That makes everybody sense. put together a really good video, but, um, and maybe I'm giving away too much of the process, how we were hired, but, um, we were emailed basically a list of questions 
at 5 p.m. on a Friday. Um, and it was the middle of the summer. So like most of those folks would be like finishing their work week and they're wanting to relax and just whatever. So we were emailed a list of questions and it was like, how would you attack like this problem and walk us through like these dates of the journey? You're going from this place to this place. Like, what are you going to do? And like, how are you going to set up? There were a bunch of college football tailgates. There were like four college football tailgates. So um, what do you plan to do there? And so when I looked at it, I was like, everyone else is just going to look at this and it's going to be like a word document, right? Like they're going to, that's how it was emailed. They're just going to type out a paragraph, like to answer the question. That'll be it. I decided that we were going to take it a step further. And so we made like a 27 page proposal, big PDF document. Um, and basically outlined every single piece that we could possibly do. I like recreated logos and different team colors and I photoshopped a bunch of different stuff and made Excel spreadsheets about like the season dates and like where we would need to be and when and when we could hunt and like budgets. Like I made budgets for everything that we could possibly need, like a spare gas can and chains and electrical cords and like what we were going <laughs> to need to buy for the truck. Yeah. Like anything that I could possibly think of that was going to matter to the tour, like I tried to account for it. And so I had had a total of like, I guess it was due 8 a.m. Monday morning. And so I slept six hours between like Friday at 5 p.m. and Monday at 8 a.m. And then I, I had a friend hand deliver, like I, I mailed him a copy of this proposal and I had a friend hand deliver uh, that proposal before 8 a.m. to the Yeti headquarters to Sloan Brown. Um, so like anything that I could possibly think to do yeah. that was going to like make it clear, like we worked our tails <clears> off <throat> at this, like that's what we did. And so that's why we ended up getting the job. I think we did okay. We definitely fell short on the content department, like I said, but um, that was a cool opportunity. And through that, I got to hunt with lots of people and go sure. lots of places and meet like, what are now like a majority of my very best friends. Like we all like to do the same stuff. And so um, through that deal, I met Garrett Walker of Quack Rack, who you just had on the podcast a little while ago. Yep. Had a great time um, with, had a great time with Garrett. Yeah. Garrett's so one of so the cool to hear that, folks. to hear his story about how he started that, that company, yeah. man, yeah. just super interesting. Yeah. And he's like another definition of just like grind way harder than everybody else right it'll, it'll come to fruition but garrett ended up having me out um on a hunt and he sent a message to dane one of the founders and said hey I, like i met this kid i don't know if you have a need or have a whatever but like you need to find a place for him which like garrett and i only spent a day and a half together there was no reason he needed to have done that but for whatever reason like and I had no idea at that moment, like I was potentially on a job interview, like, if right. you think about it, like that was a job interview. And so that introduction led to Dane um, giving me a call. And that was interesting because Righam Wright and Lifetime, they're competitors in the rigging segment. Um, Matthew Cagle, the founder of Righam Wright, was one of the first people to commercialize um, selling Texas rigs. The Texas rig, yep, elsewhere. yep. And back then it was the, the monofilament. That was the only way that you could do it. And so Lifetime came in in 2014 and they started doing the coated steel cable. Mm -hmm. So I remember, they, I remember seeing that about that time. And I was like, man, that's an interesting thought. That's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. So 
that was a really, really hard time in my life. It was probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make um, because I had just spent, you know, five months of my life working for a guy like I truly call him like a second dad, like like Matthew Cagle. We talk every day. He's just as enjoyable and as kind a human being as you could possibly ever care to meet. Like you won't find a person in the industry that has something negative to say about Matthew. I you can, I had him on. I had him on a podcast pretty early on. Yeah, and he. I mean, I could go through my sheet and figure out which episode exact it is exactly. But he was one of the first few people I had on. Sure. Dude, we we had a great conversation. Yeah, just just salt of the earth guy. You could just tell he really is. Like, and he would do anything for me. Like right now, and that was why it was so hard to decide that I was going to go work for a company that was competing on a couple of SKUs. Sure, um, sure. But for me, the at the end of the day, like I had to pay bills and it, it hurt. Like, and I called Matthew, like not crying or choked up or anything, but like, I was like, I was like a beaten dog. It was like, <laughs> I was like, Matthew, like, I like, I, like, this is like what I have to do. Like I have to do this. And he was, he couldn't have been more gracious. And we still talk like pretty frequently. And I try to throw him business like whenever I can. Like when yeah. I talk to guys and outfitters, I say, hey, like these layout blinds or hey, these bags or hey, these gun cases, whatever. Like, right. I don't know how much business I pushed to him just this last season, but I hope it's enough to for him to like feel like he's recouped his investment in me. There you bit. go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then between those two deals, I had met the, the Duck Commander guys. We got to go on a hunt. Um, during the running gun tour and so justin martin of duck commander he put me up um for a uh, basically hosting like a tv uh show or like a little youtube social media series for academy and we did a, a fishing series we built a john boat uh so i got to take like big names in the fishing world like greg That's hackney so cool. and jacob wheeler out fishing and we like filmed these deals and again that was just like Justin like watched the way I was on a hunt and he was like this kid like never stops working and then I come back and I edit and I'm like posting on social media and I'm doing all these things and I'm not sitting there just idly by like I'm working and again it was a situation like I didn't realize I was on a job interview but I was and so um I don't know I guess moral of my story is like just do what's right at all times and like people will pay attention like even Work. if you don't think you're paying attention yeah, the the interesting thing I think about you too is you're you're young, you know. You you think of, you look at your accomplishments, you hear that story, and you think, oh, this guy's got to be you know in his thirties, but you're twenty six years old, and that's impressive. You know, when you when you hear when you hear all those accomplishments, and you and you listen to the way you talk, you you've got it figured out that there's I very, definitely don't have no, it and that, out. no, that's not I, that's not. I appreciate the humility, but, and what I meant was you've got it figured out that hard work, it, there's no substitute for hard work. You know, it's like, if you want something and you want it bad, you're going to work to get that. I think sure. there's a misconception in our social media society today that, oh, we just do this, 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 and stuff just comes along and it happens. Yeah. That's not the case. Everything that you, when you look at successful people, they're successful for a reason. And it's because they've worked hard to get there. Yeah. And it's not, it's not because I take the prettiest pictures or I can do, you know, 
that that people trust me more on my social media platforms like it's not the case like i just i think i like to treat i treat the people the right way and i'm always gonna work as hard or harder than anybody else and like it all it always works out well that sounds so cliche like but it's true no but it's It's true man i i'm i mean i was a coach i was an athlete i as a sports guy you're a sports guy it's one of those things where you hear the old saying hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard for sure that's the truth i mean that is 100 percent the truth and i don't know how many young people that i've worked with over the years that got it and it, everything clicked and some that didn't get it and yeah. and struggled until they figured that out sure. but no it's it's cool and we could sit and talk philosophy all day long yeah, if yeah, we yeah. wanted to but well, what you, let's what talk let's talk let's talk you want to talk here you want to talk hunt you want to talk Corey Loeffler. you want to talk mistakes like what do you want to know well i i've been i've been curious because i haven't had a chance to get my hands on those lifetime decoys no the, way the, the new decoys i haven't uh, had a chance to, to use a them. little sample pack yeah uh, because we we've got we've got kind of a unique deal here a lot of guys hunt rivers yeah. a lot of guys hunt moving water but the stuff we're hunting it's fast i mean mm-hmm. this these are fast western rivers sure. and i've been when i saw that design i was like i love that sure. i love the fact that they're light i love the fact that they're indestructible mm-hmm. because i mean what we do here is a very we've got some we've got some blinds now that we can leave some stuff in and you can go down and just throw stuff out but a lot of the hunting we do is it's hiking pretty long distances there was a spot we did it we filmed a hunt this year dude i'm not kidding you they, it was a sheer cliff face to get down into this hole really? That's yeah awful yeah i mean because that's it's the west that's yeah that stuff happens but it was a side channel off of a major river and it was loaded with ducks that's where they wanted that's where they wanted to be sure. but there was one way into this thing and if it was like a goat path down the side yeah you were like big game hunting for ducks that's what it was we had yeah. a guy it was funny because we had a guy from minnesota with us and he's he was like scared you know we were going in in the dark with our headlamps and it just pull up everybody's getting stuff around and we start going and it's just a, like sheer drop into the darkness yeah and he's like dude <laughs> what are we where are we going he's like you know? and, it, right. and at one point you kind of had to like slide off this little shelf of rock and, yeah. dr- and drop down to the next level right it was it was legit you know but i'm going yeah i do this all the time when i'm hunting elk and mule deer and stuff like that but you don't think about hunting ducks the decoys were a problem (laughs) they're big they're heavy you know and and we we had them in a we had them in a rig them right bag sure Uh, i think we were in a had them i don't remember what what bag we had them in but anyway i was thinking to myself mandel's lifetime decoys are twice as light as the ones we're running yeah it would be technically like 1.7 to 1.8 times lighter a dozen for mallards at least wow wow Um, and then yeah for for the folks listening that aren't really familiar with the lifetime decoy the best way to probably describe it is think about a croc like everybody's seen a croc maybe they haven't worn them but they've seen them you're talking the you're talking the footwear 
Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so that's that's the exact same foam that we use. Um, so or think of like a self-healing like archery block. Sure. So if you were to shoot this decoy, the pellets penetrate right through and then it reheals immediately, just like when you shoot an arrow through a target and pull it right out. Like so it's always so, gonna float. There's yeah, nothing I mean, that's gonna you could cut it so the the way I like to describe it is like shoot it, step on it, run it over with your truck, or cut it into eight pieces. It doesn't matter because the material itself inherently floats and it right. always comes back to form. So that's the craziest thing is a lot of folks don't even realize like this is not a foam filled decoy. Right. The decoy is hollow. It's got two keels on it. So you can set it flat on, you know, in the field, flat on an ice shelf, whatever it is. See, and that's huge um, for us too, because we're dealing with ice shelves a lot. And it's nice to be able to mix up your look on your spread. For sure. And we found that there were a number of people who were using them in field spreads this year. Like, I bet. you know, there, there's of course plenty of people who are going to say like, you need the full body ducks like up on the stake and you need them to move a little bit here or there. But just for the guys who want to add something just a little different, like those ducks, you can set them out. They sit flat in the field. They're perfect. The thing that I uh, see with that is guys here, a lot of, which, we have gone we've shot mallards in the fields around here over nothing but goose decoys mm -hmm. where it was an incidental day where you get a big push of mallards that come through and you're hunting geese and they're decoying to your goose spread yep we didn't have any duck decoys out but it's like man if a guy's got a bag of those in his truck yeah can, they pull double they pull double duty you know exactly. what i mean that's that's the exact word track that i like to use with folks describing them so um the other interesting thing, so we talked about, they sit flat no matter what. They're lighter than anything else on the market. You can't sink them. You can't crush them. You can't break them. The other interesting thing is that the paint during the manufacturing process actually absorbs into the foam. So that's interesting. Unlike, you know, a plastic decoy where you need, where you've got, you know, a layer of paint on top of the plastic like this paint is actually becoming one with the foam wow um so we're seeing you're not chipping you're not fading you're not peeling fading is the interesting thing i can't probably speak to that as well as i'd like to just because i've only been with lifetime for a year sure um but my bosses ran a test when they were prototyping these a number of years ago and they laid out all the competitors they tell me that ours faded the least out of anybody. Nice. Um, and and there's a guy, Joel Strickland. Um, he ran a test and he's posted pictures about it and he's talked about it on his little YouTube thing. And um, he left he left the decoy out for like five months throughout the summer um, in the sun. And the comparison photos, like really the only thing that fades is the beak, the yellow beak. Yeah. On the decoy. So I could see that. It's pretty pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's the rundown on the decoy. I. I'm really excited about it. It it fires me up, and we emptied our warehouse three times this year. Good for you. All of our all of our retailers have doubled down on their orders. We've had some of our bigger retailers have increased way more than that this year. So um, we're honestly not taking on a ton of new business. Um, we're just trying to take care of the retailers and the guides and the outfitters um, and the folks that we have relationships with now. We've got some new products coming. We're not probably ready to release those sure. quite yet. Sure. Um, but 
if you go onto our Instagram page, the comments where people are asking for things like we listen and we're paying attention. It's just our manufacturer truly we're pushing them as hard as they possibly can. And right. we're vetting manufacturers all the time to try to see if there's somebody else in the world that can do what the manufacturer we've got now can do. And right now we're not confident that there's anybody else who can do it. Uh, when we find an additional manufacturer, we may be able to do some more stuff, but until that time, we're, we're pretty darn excited about it. Well, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's huge because you're not just going out there. Okay. We have an increased demand. Let's go find somebody else who can make these decoys, but now we're going to sacrifice a little bit here and a little bit there. Well, the next thing you know, you end up with a product that's not what it was yeah, you can't do and that. people are pissed off because it's not what they thought it was going to be. Cause it doesn't meet their, their, their standards, the standard you have set. And so the next thing you know, you got, you're losing business in the long run yeah, because you're good. not doing the due diligence. Like it sounds right. like you're doing so well. And it's interesting. Like if you think about the guy who's bought two dozen mallards and he wants to add, I don't know, green wing teal, or he wants to add something else to his spread. Like, right. He had a great experience with his mallards. And then he has a really negative experience with the green wing teal. He's going to look at that and be very frustrated. The lifetime didn't continue. Right. But what I think is probably more important is let's think about the guy whose first experience with the decoys is negative. Like if we come out with a new product and the first thing he experiences with lifetime isn't positive, it's all negative. Like we've lost that customer and we're never getting them back. So to me, it's not worth it. Like we want to fill out our species lineup as fast as we possibly can, but it's not worth got to do it. Customer. Yeah. Got to do it right. Got to do it right. Yeah. How, and so the question I'm going to circle back, that was, it's amazing to hear all that. One of the, but the question that I had was getting back to, and I, and I've had this question asked of me by quite a few guys in the West. How do those decoys with that, with that dual keel, how do they swim in heavy current? Sure. Fast, choppy, so, heavy current water. So I probably personally can't speak to that. I've not seen it and it's not been tested enough where our, where our focus has been just being mallards for the last couple of years has been the central and Mississippi flyways. And yeah. so they haven't been used a ton, like up where you're talking about in that really Send me some, I'll put them through it. <laughs> no, I know. We need to. Um, what I can tell you um, is the dual keel on the bottom of the decoy it allows the decoy to be really sturdy. And so it comes with removable keel weights. I prefer to tell people don't ever hunt them with keel weights in them. You'll save weight. You'll have way more movement in the wind, but in a situation like that, that's what I would say. Use the keel weight, use the keel weights, make sure that they're not going to flip over in current. Um, and the few guys that I know that have hunted them haven't had an issue with them. And I, I, I'm sure there wouldn't be. It's just interesting because it is such a unique design. Yep. It's like, hmm, because that's one of the things that we don't have to worry about motion in our decoy right. spreads because the river yeah, provides the motion. Yep. And those decoys are like darting and diving. And dude, I've, I've got some widgeon decoys that, and I won't mention the brand, but I throw those suckers out and our widgeon like to sit in the middle of the river, you know, in a wide open spot so they can sift bugs and stuff off the top of the water. Yeah. So, cause they're skimmer feeders and sure. you, you throw those decoys out there in that current and they, 
from 100 yards away they look like they're alive they're literally yeah. like just like yeah, real so just like cool. real widgeon and it's like wow i feel bad and then every now and then earlier in the season we'll go hunt like a pond or a lake and there's dead calm and i'm like who brought the jerk cord man because there's no motion in the yeah. spread because well, we're not we're not where, we're not used to that yeah that's where our decoy really shines um is when things are dead calm right uh, because they've got the the dual keel so what we're noticing is when you've got a little bit of current or a little bit of wind i should have brought a decoy here to show it's all right but it'll act the water will go through the middle of the decoy of the two keels and it'll kick out the back and you'll kind of have like a fanning motion it's, it's uh -huh. very interesting but and because they're so light you're gonna have a ton of movement um honestly i i will say like the only negative that i've heard from folks hunting big current is those two keels they actually keep the decoy so steady it's like a catamaran or a pontoon yeah. it right it just cuts the water that you don't necessarily have the hard cuts right or left so i think i'd be remiss if i didn't say that that's what i've heard that's that, interesting like, sometimes they're like they're too steady they like sure. they go in a straight line or they'll go very slowly left or very slowly right so i've not experienced it but i mean i think i think it'd be silly for us to like that's a piece of information i have it's not necessarily a good thing for us for guys that are hunting heavy heavy current like that but like if somebody if somebody's gonna hunt decoys that are 100 percent heavy current like our decoy might not be the best thing that's i don't know i can't really speak to that yet yeah no and um, you wouldn't you wouldn't know until you until you gave it a whirl you know and it's yeah i i know it's interesting hunting puddle ducks um out here in the west so much of what we have to put together is those those birds don't want to sit in really fast water they yeah. want to sit all along the edges of it you know so yeah. you're throwing those decoy spreads out into eddies and into back pockets where there's not a ton of current there's enough but you're putting yeah. them like right along some of them are right along the edge you know yeah. and it's yeah. and it's interesting and there are times when you don't have any other choice but to throw them out in in some heavy current and yeah. then anchoring them becomes a challenge you know you, yeah. you're constantly well and the other chasing the other interesting thing too like when we're talking about hunting a riverbank um is you've got the option to put some decoys up on like an ice shelf if you right. want to build up or right. set them up literally on the sand or on the mud or on the rocks whereas right. other decoys right. they're going to sit lopsided and it's not going to look right so that's what and that attracted me to those almost immediately the first time i saw them i was instantly intrigued i thought wow that's a decoy that's going to cut a ton of weight out of my rig and i can i can get them into places that are really a pain to get other other decoys yeah. in because it's just because of a weight sheer weight factor yep um because there's i mean there are lots of times guys out here are hiking a long ways to get into spots yeah just because of that's that's the nature of of hunting some of these yeah. places and that's that's our thing i mean we are the public land hiking hunters decoy yeah absolutely because um, you've i mean there's there's packable series lots of folks have got packable decoys right the problem is a lot of those are inflatable or they require an airtight seal to stay afloat. Well, the nature of packing a decoy in is anything but easy on your decoys. You slip, you fall down your sheer cliff, you're going to rip your packables up. 
you're running through brambles and brush and trees like in arkansas you're on a dead sprint from the boat race right. to finding your hole like you can't be babying your your decoys these things like slam them against trees let them drag behind you on the ground like it doesn't matter um and they're 1.7 1.8 times lighter than anything that's cool else on the market so that is cool well the, so the rigs too you guys have got the steel coated cable rigs Mm-hmm. and you were talking earlier about monofilament when texas rigs kind of first came out in monofilament you guys have got a pile of different colors sure. on on your rigs when when folks oh, go I'm on your website the colors i'm glad you even know about the colors because oh, when dude. i joined lifetime i was like this is the thing we need to be marketing why is nobody talking about this the colors are <laughs> the colors are cool yeah you look at those and go wow that's talk about a way to make your because everybody wants their stuff to stand out everybody wants their stuff to be them to be unique yeah, and the 100%. colors the colors are a chance for guys to do that sure i out here in my situation i have to be fairly subdued because our water we're hunting clear water see that's what you think that's what everybody thinks that's what everybody thinks but keep going i'll let you talk well and I, i'm gonna give you pushback i'm gonna good give you pushback. good because this is why i'm bringing this up because i the first time i looked at those colors i went man that's cool if I hunted muddy water, mm-hmm. but because I'm hunting gin clear water, I think those, I think my birds are going to see those. Yeah. I, I think, I think they're going to see those, those rigs. What's yeah. your, what's your take on that? So tell me, I'm, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you're wrong because everybody, like at the end of the day, if you're uncomfortable with something that you've got in your decoy spread or your blind set up, or you're not brushed in or your camo's wrong, like, it doesn't matter what I say or what anybody else says. It's like, if you can possibly think of a variable that's screwing up your hunt, you're going to blame it on that. Like, sure. that's what I do. That's what sure. you do. That's what everybody does. So first and foremost, like, I don't want anybody to be in an uncomfortable position when they're running colored rigs and they think that the rigs are flaring birds. What I will say is I purposely this year, brown and black, like those are the common rig colors. Every decoy rig that I brought with me to hunt this year was colored. And I tried to hunt the bright colors. I tried to hunt yellow and orange more than anything and our bright greens, just because I wanted to see and test and prove like this isn't an issue. So some of our very best hunts, we were down on the Texas coast hunting some really, really clear stuff. um, Some stuff that was a foot or less. And we were hunting four foot rigs at that time. Um, so that's another perk to coated steel cable, which I can get into in a minute, but we were having our decoy float here. Our rig was floating here and normally a rig, you're going to have it drop straight down and you're only going to be able to see an inch or two above it. And so that's my pushback when you're hunting gin clear water is like, if you're hunting the right length of rig, you're only going to be able to see like from above only a few inches and like once it gets deeper it doesn't matter how clear water is you can't see all the way to the bottom it gets it's it's not clear four feet deep it's only clear like the first couple inches of feet um but we were hunting in texas six inches a foot two feet in some places but we were hunting four foot rigs and so the decoy was here the rig was all the way out here sitting that's what, on flat sand bottom that's what we run feet, into yeah that's what we run which into which is crazy and we were hunting yellow and orange rigs and we hunted a total, I think down there in Texas, we hunted a, ton- a total of six days on public land in Texas with hunting pressure um, 
our 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 first hunt that we did we had guys set up less than 200 yards like from us so there was competition we were public land we were everything was working against us and we limited it every time we went wow and so i can say like the rigs was not the problem like the rigs was not a problem in that non-issue non-issue yeah Yeah, that's interesting we were we were killing everything we killed pintails which down in texas killing pintails is a huge pain they're very weary birds you they're they're very smart down here a lot of people maybe around the country don't believe that but yeah talk to uh, guys in california they'll be like no they're not those things are those things are dumb yeah killing killing pintails in texas like it it takes some focus and they're they're pretty particular um but we We don't we don't hardly get any of them here we see a we see a few but it's it's pretty if you kill a couple pintails a fall you're doing good here yeah but to me what was awesome with the colored rigs is we hunted 16 dozen decoys that day okay and i knew what color rigs so like i knew my widgeon were on green i knew my teal were on blue and red like you name it whatever it was john the other guy who had a bunch of decoys he had stuff on orange and he had stuff on yellow whatever it was i don't remember how we had the setup but everybody could go around and we knew like okay those are all john's decoys and those are all jj's decoys the other thing too that i found throughout hunting season was it was really interesting like if we were hunting like we were hunting timber in arkansas and the whole deal and i don't know why everyone decided like we're gonna organize our decoys in dozens like i don't know why that <laughs> is it's kind of annoying like why like 12 like it's very random and obscure and like i would love to know who decided a dozen was the proper number but it is and so um what's interesting is we would go and rig all of our mallards on different colors and you could then go through the spread and have a conversation because you weren't trying to keep count of how many decoys you had in your hand you just knew my color's orange and so like if me and bob are hunting together like i pick up an orange mallard that got thrown over in kind of my area i'm tossing the orange mallard to him and like that's it um so i've got a number of clubs that actually do that now they hunt only mallards obviously they own all of their decoys but it's just so easy to keep them in dozens and that way if a guy's trying to go out and hunt a different location, he can grab a bundle and he knows he's got 12. He doesn't have to count and be like, ah, there's 14 or, oh, there's only nine on this one. Right. Or whatever. Like, right. So that's interesting. That's, really that, that's something that I never thought of is being able, is being able to keep stuff separate. You know, you, we're not hunting. We usually don't hunt in big enough groups where sure. that's, that's a deal, sure. but man, I can see, I have it. I have done that in the past where, yep. Hey, I brought, you know, I brought a dozen mallards and this guy brought six mallards and they get mixed in. They're all the same. Yeah. So you well, can't tell. You can't tell. Gonna, yeah. And it's the hope like is everybody's going to be hunting lifetime decoys. There you go. Yeah. Everybody's going to have the same decoy. <laughs> so you can't say, no, mine are lifetimes and mine are yeah. X, Y, or Z. It's like everybody's got lifetimes. So how are you going to tell, tell the difference? It's also interesting, like the coded cable, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't get tangled quite as bad as as some other things but when you're throwing all your junk into the boat so i ran an excel boat all season and so we were driving like from oklahoma arkansas texas mississippi like we were all over in the in the wind these decoys they're super light so they kind of swirl around oh i lost you here completely different color can you hear me i got you you're back okay 
Sorry, I don't know what happened there. No, who knows, man? It's it's <laughs> Wyoming. It's probably our Wi-Fi. The wind uh, probably came up. It's not great here at the house. It's <laughs> slow upload speed sometimes. But anyway, this wind, it can like swirl the decoys around and kind of jumble them and make them get like tangled together in the sure. boat. Sure. I was finding because we never bag our decoys. Like, don't you bag our decoys? We don't need it. The paint's not going to scratch. Like, it's easy enough to carry. I'm like, don't bag our decoys. Um, now, if you really want to, and it's easier for you to carry, like you can bag them, but you don't need to because the paint, it's it's going to work. Sure, sure. But anyway, um, it's just easy to untangle these colors because you're like, this is an orange rig and this is a green rig. Clearly, right. these, all these decoys, they aren't the same. Um, but yeah, and the coated steel cable is great. It sinks under the water. We talked right. about that a little bit. Like you're never going to have something that hangs out of the water. So sure. having this color, it's always going to be under the water. And if a duck... My my final piece on the colored rig deal is if a duck is close enough to see the color of rig, this tiny little wire floating under the duck, and you've only got a few inches exposed, like that duck is way too damn close, and you better be whacking his ass anyway. <laughs> so I agree one hundred percent with you. It's what you said was interesting about how you were running um those because a lot of. Uh, it's so interesting running Texas rigs here in the rivers because, like I said, the water, first of all, is super clear. And you mm -hmm. might have some decoys that, yeah, the rigs, they're straight above the anchor or they're out, you know, that far sure. at, at an angle back. But then you got others where they're running in four inches of water, mm -hmm. you know, and you got a four foot, you got a four foot uh, lead on there. There's, you know, that much cable sticking out there and four feet that's gin clear. I don't know. It, it would be interesting. There have been times when I've wondered that. Um, and, and granted the rigs, the rigs that I've got, the Texas rigs that I've got, they're all black. Yeah. Um, but I've wondered it's, it's crossed my mind sitting in a blind and you get a tough day and the birds are, they'll come in and they'll work and they won't finish. And it's like, See, and that's the thing. Like mm. never want to, we never want to be the, the reason or the catalyst for somebody feeling like they had a bad day. Right. And absolutely. So, if somebody's not in on the on the colored rig thing, like by no means, and our brown is by far our best seller. Yeah. But for guys especially yeah. who are hunting really muddy water, like the Oklahoma guys, you're hunting farm ponds, you're hunting that nasty right. red water. Right. A lot right. of stuff. It doesn't. It here. Yeah. Yeah. Just do it. Doesn't matter. And I can think hunting back in Michigan, where I grew up, hunting beaver ponds and stuff. It's like the same thing. You could run. Yep. You could run hot pink, blaze orange. Wouldn't have mattered wouldn't yeah, matter because they're not going to they're not going to see it yeah. it's just there are certain situations and it's niche stuff but it's interesting to hear you explain it i love it yeah so you've got a story i hunting with Corey loffler you guys did a duck trip this year that is like it's off the charts it was it sounded awesome Corey's I'm... Corey's explanation before you get all humble on me here yeah. Corey's explanation was awesome but he said you got to talk to jj because jj is going to tell going to have a different version and so i'm dying you guys did a back country as we call it out west yeah diy duck hunt yep. nobody does nobody do, really does stuff like that very often maybe once in a while you guys went out and you slept in the slept in the back country you ate the ducks that you shot on you know as, as food kind of based loosely on that sh on the tv show alone yep 
Am I wrong? Yeah, no, you're you're right. So Corey Loeffler, like one of my dear friends, one of the more interesting people in the industry, I think. Um, and one probably probably the most interesting human that I have personally encountered. Like I just talk about a jack of all trades, like that dude literally does everything and it's completely self-sufficient. Like to the extent that Sitka decided his life story is so interesting, we're going to base this new release of our Sitka whites on him. I know. Which, which great for Sitka, but at the same time, like pisses me off because <laughs> like when I got hired from Lifetime, I was like, Corey Loeffler, if we ever do a goose, like he's my guy, he's my release guy. And then dadgummit, if Sitka didn't like come and like poach his lifestyle. But yep. like, of course, like incredible for him, incredible for Sitka. Like, yeah, he's the perfect story. Um, but anyway, so Corey calls me and like his, our phone calls are just my favorite thing. But he's like, hey, man, like, um, you know. <laughs> I've been, you know, I've been seeing this it's perfect. Lately. It's perfect. Yeah, he's like, you know you seen this thing it's like and this is like it was trending it was like in the heat of corona like no one knew what the hell was going on like Corey always is sequestered but everybody i guess on social media was talking about the show alone so he like actually watched like tv and netflix like that guy i think sleeps like two hours a day and if he's not he's like cutting wood to warm his home and like training dogs and gardening like he doesn't buy things at the grocery store like he's the weirdest human like he grows and kills everything he eats like he buys condiments <laughs> and like things he can't make himself like noodles and like just random shit but like anything that he can get from a garden or from the wild like that's how he consumes it um but anyway Corey, he calls me he's like dude like it kind of gave me an idea he's like i kind of want to like go into the woods and like bring nothing with us and just like see if we can make it and i was like okay and he was like i have this idea like we'll just go and it's like on the canada border like we can't go to canada this year let's get as close as we can like early season october you can't hunt anywhere else really like just come up so after teal season in texas was over like um uh, actually it was like the very end of September, like beginning of October. Cause I got my puppy like right after I got home from there. Okay. Um, is how I remember. But we, uh, we ended up going up there and like Corey, like we brought nothing. Like we literally brought like an ax, some cast iron stuff to cook on. I think he brought some noodles and pasta sauce. We had pasta one night. That's what he said. Yep. Um, like, like not a lot else. Like, I think we brought some cliff bars in case we like literally couldn't kill an animal. But sure. other than that, like we brought two, two sacks of groceries was it like for me, a guy named Simon Carlson from up in Montana photo video guy. Who's great. Um, and then Corey. And then his dog, Rue. And I don't know, this is funny, on the topic of food, Corey might not have shared this little tidbit, but um, day one, uh, Corey had transported Rue's food out in our cast iron, um, like, Dutch oven pot to cook in. And uh, we got back, like, we entered the bush having not really eaten, so we were, like, really hungry. Like, so we build this shelter. We'll get in the shelter in a minute. But anyway, we start the fire and like instinctually, like he puts the big Dutch oven like on the fire and he cooks Rue's food in our pot that we're going to use for the, the deal. So like Rue had no food. She ate goose with us for 
three or four days, however long we were out there. Geese and ducks. But I'm just like, gosh, dang it. Like, of course, like this is starting off on such a high <laughs> note. But anyway, I don't know how much we really want to divulge because I think we're going to do this again next year. And it may become a thing really more than anything like this year with a fact finding mission of like, is this even possible? He kind of, he kind of, he, he kind of eluded to that. And we didn't yeah. go, he, he told, to, told us all about it, but kind of the same thing. Like we might turn this into something. So I don't want to give it up too much. Yeah. But long story short, we rolled in, like we brought sleeping bags and tarps and, um, Sitka makes this thing. It's called a flash shelter. Mm, we use and them all so, the time on the big game side. Yeah, so we used a flash shelter and we cut logs and build like built like a lean to like cabin. Um, and so it had like wooden logs on each side and we like notched them out and fitted them together. And then Corey and Simon like got muddy, nasty, dirty, building like um, mud and grass like insulation. And it was cool. It was it was awesome. And we shot like we only we could have limited every morning. Every time we went, we could have limited and shot. Sure, sure. Uh, but we just shot enough to like live eat. on and yeah, to eat. To eat. Um, and it was just cool. It was like, this is how hunting like began. It was like, we're going to shoot enough to eat like for what we need now. We're going to be roughing it. Like our only form of, of heat was um, was the fire. And we had like no creature comforts from home. Like for Simon's camera, like he had to bring a bunch of batteries and yep. just like hope that he survived with the, the number of batteries we had because we cruised in on a boat. It was a long boat ride. And then um, we took our decoys and we took everything else in the boat. And then we would like use our little base camp and we'd cruise up and down rivers um, or we'd like hike from base camp. But the whole premise and why like Corey really contacted me one were pals, but two, like he knew how much walking and hiking was going to be. And there's some photos from that trip where Corey and I look like miserable, like we're dying, but we were bringing two, three, four dozen decoys a piece on our backs walking sure. in and like, sure. you can't do that with like any other decoy. So it was a, it was a cool experience. Like I said, it's probably going to become something that's cool. Um, like that's cool. And Corey, Corey, like, for example, left utensils at home. So like he carved a spoon and a serving deal and whatever, like, and that's how we ate. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. That's, I mean, we, we, we run that kind of program a lot um, on the big game side. You know, you talk about the Sitka flash shelter. We did a, I did a backcountry elk hunt two years ago um, with one of the other guys here. It's and it's filmed. It's all, it's all, you know, you can watch it all. But what we didn't show was we were testing some shelters at that time. Yeah. The flash being one of them, it was out. People had used it, but I used it at, I don't know, 9,000 feet in rain and snow. And I literally pitched it as kind of an A-frame style shelter, put rocks around it. And I slept under that thing for three or four nights. Yeah. I didn't take a sleeping pad. I didn't take a sleeping bag. I slept in my clothes yep. and it snowed, it rained. The whole point of it was if I could be comfortable in that, you know, as comfortable as possible, I could have been more comfortable. Yeah. I'd have taken a sleeping pad and a bag. I would have been like, yeah, this is great. But yeah. I wanted to see how this shelter performed and it was flawless. 
Yeah, it was flawless. But you don't you you learn things about yourself when you do stuff like that. One hundred percent. You know where you're like, man, I could do this. You know, Corey was t- talking about you're talking about how self sufficient he is, and and he was telling me he's he when I talked to him, he was out of snow goose fat. Yeah. And he was like totally bummed. He's like, I got to get to Canada this year. I got to get some snow goose fat because so I get up on those in in Saskatchewan and Alberta and shoot those geese, and they've got these little lumps of fat um, on their body cavities by their kidneys. And he's like, I I I I render that and use it for like lard all all year long. I cook yeah. with it. I we bake with it, and I just was like, that's you know, no, was, he's like I was worked up. Yeah, no, he's he was dead serious, and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, that's awesome because what it does is it it ties into the big game side of things for us because, yeah, we don't. I mean, I'll buy pork because I don't raise pigs. I live in town. I can't raise a pig, but other so I'll buy a pork from like a 4-H kid or go to the store and buy pork. But otherwise, same thing, man. My freezer's full of elk and goose and ducks and deer and antelope and. It's like, what do we have? You want antelope tonight or elk or right. mallards? What do you yeah. want? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So it's interesting. And he's, he's interesting to talk to. I'm, I'll be curious to see what you guys turn that into. And I hope you do it again this year. And cause I, I, I think that's cool. I think there's a lot of stuff out there that a lot of people are looking, especially after COVID. I think a lot of people are looking for an adventure. Sure. I think they're looking for something to go, you know, what would happen now that we survived this? What would happen if I really did have to make it? You know yeah. what I mean? And what yeah. what would happen? Yeah. And I don't know. That's that's a really cool deal. I yeah. I I would love to see something like that. And I know I'm not alone. So, but at the same time, it's like it's no different from what the big game guys do all the time. It's just I don't know why it's never been applied to the waterfowl pursuit. It's very because I think all I think. I think it, I think it's a logistics thing because it's like where you guys went without divulging too much information, where you guys went is not an easy place to get to. Mm-hmm. It's pretty remote and you kind of got to know where to go where the majority of waterfowl hunting or or bird hunting for that matter is done. You, you, you go out, you scout, you find the birds, you get after them and you're doing it in fairly accessible locations. You, know, you can usually drive and then maybe walk in or, you take a boat into yep. it's not backcountry related where the big game side of things, you, you got to go find an elk. Yeah. They're not, they're not always miles and miles into the backcountry. I mean, good grief. I was watching some this morning on a, on a, on an alfalfa field here, a couple miles from the office, hmm. but it's like, it has a tendency to be more like that where, sure. where bird hunting isn't, isn't quite that way you could make it that way out here you there's yeah. gr- there's grouse guys that literally specialize in they backpack hunt for mountain grouse really and they take their dog and their backpack and they go out and for a weekend and they hike around in the mountains and sleep out of, you know dirt bagging it out of a tent yeah and shoot mountain grouse that's their thing that's awesome but yeah it is it's cool it's cool and adam it's one of those things where you can make things as and just about that's what I love about wing hunt, about wing shooting in general is whether it's waterfowl or upland or turkey or whatever, you can make it just about any way you want it to be. Yeah. You uh-huh. know what I mean? So it's cool like that Corey had this 
idea to like let's do it different like yeah. how can we do it different and let's let's give it a purpose it's not just doing something different or hard for the sake of doing something different or hard um yeah completely I, I, I was completely agree i was very lucky i feel very lucky that i got to that he he decided to call me on the subject because it was a lot of fun heck cool. yeah no that is cool that is cool but well jj i appreciate your time i we've man i think we're over an hour which is awesome didn't yeah, seem cut, didn't cut seem, it down cut my rambling down, yeah, no uh-uh it was good stuff man absolutely and i uh i gotta have you back on maybe get you up here this this winter next winter with yeah. some of those lifetime decoys and we'll throw yeah. them in this fast current and see how they do that'd be awesome i yeah. would love to see it i would love heck to yeah see man it. heck yeah but well thank you very much for being on with me today and I really enjoyed our conversation and I know everybody else is going to enjoy listening to it. So yep, absolutely. appreciate your time. And 